but you want to send your young ones out, somebody will assist them to get to the right classroom. Look at all these little ones go. I love it. I love it. All right, go learn about Jesus. Hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. Shout. I like him. Sign him up. <laughs> Sign him up. That's outstanding. <laughs> that made my day right there. <laughs> that was great. All right, let's get Dan- <laughs> Daniel chapter 1. <laughs> I love it. Daniel chapter 1. All right, Daniel 1. We started this, this book uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. We, uh, we're going to start in verse number 8 as far as the reading goes, and then we'll pick up the comments in verse 9. And just quick announcement. There is a bird right there. <laughs> so if you see something just flutter through, pay no attention to it, right? You don't want to be sitting in the drop zone also. <laughs> just, just, just so you know, you guys there, just be careful, okay? But we tried our utmost. We threw little soft balls at it. We threw uh, feather duster brooms at it. The problem, I hit it with the feather duster, but it's made of feathers. So the bird was like, Mom? <laughs> and it didn't even move, so... What are you going to do? Anyway, Daniel 1, mom. Daniel 1 and verse number 8. Daniel 1, verse 8. The Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So last time we talked a little bit about uh, how Daniel took a stand on his convictions. And he purposed in his heart that he was going to be different. And we even sing a song about that. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that song, Dare to be a Daniel. And this is what it's mainly about. And Daniel, this was not the only time that he did this in Scripture. You might know that another time, in Daniel 6, of course, we'll get to that story. He took a stand. They made a law that you're not allowed to pray. And he prayed three times every day still and ended up in the lion's den. There's a man who knew what God wanted him to do, and he stood on his convictions. Now, what I love about this, this is Daniel 1. He's an older teenager, possibly young 20s, let's say student age. And then in Daniel 6, he's a much older man. So this, this idea of purposing in your heart to live for God, to stand up for what's right, do what's right, even when it's not popular. I don't care how young or old you are. It's an appropriate message. We all need this example. We all need to follow this example. Now, verse number 9 It says, now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. So let's talk for a moment about this favor and tender love. Daniel obviously has developed, I don't know what you would exactly want to call this, if you call that a friendship, um, if you call this maybe a, a, a friendly relationship. I don't know how the semantics you want to label this with. It doesn't say that Daniel and this prince of the eunuchs, which is probably Ashpenaz, it doesn't say that they were hanging out, you know, having meals together and going places together. It just says that this prince of the eunuchs really appreciated favor and tender love. It doesn't say that Daniel reciprocated that. It just says that this man, this prince of the eunuchs, he appreciated what Daniel was all about. And when you stand for God, you are going to gain the favor of both man and God. Now, I want to be careful with that statement. Not every single human being is going to like the stand you take. But you are going to find when you stand for God that, that even wicked people can appreciate, some wicked people can appreciate such a stand. This is one of those examples. 
It doesn't say that this prince of the eunuchs became a, a convert. It doesn't say that he gave up his Babylonian religion or anything like that, but he appreciated what this Daniel was all about. Again, let me remind you, Daniel's a young man. This prince of the eunuchs, probably a slightly older man, obviously more accomplished, right, as far as the secular world is concerned, more accomplished than Daniel, but looking at that younger man with principles, that younger man that stood by his convictions, this prince of the eunuch said, now there's a guy I can respect. He earned the respect the right way. You don't see anywhere where David, or David, uh, Daniel compromised his convictions in order to establish a relationship. And it's very tempting. Guys, isn't this true? Even at a young age, it's tempting. You go to school and every, you know, the cool crowd. There, there's, there's certain cliques that get started. At young age, this happens. And people start to, well, let me use a little bad language. Let me tell a bad joke. Let me dress a certain way. Let me, let me say and do and think certain things, watch certain things, listen to certain things. And little compromises so that we are accepted by the right people. Daniel was accepted, if I can use that word, by the prince of the eunuchs, but not because of compromise, but because of the stand he took. So make sure that if you have some wicked person that says, I respect that man, not because of your compromise, but because of your convictions. Hold your place here and get Proverbs chapter 3. And Yelifovosinus, you're going you're gonna to find this in your workplace all the time. It's going to be difficult in South Africa to establish a respectable business and not do anything under the table, right? It's, it's almost expected and, and let's be honest, it's not just a South African thing. I know that it's like this in many, many places in the world, all over the world. It is hard to get ahead in business or in any professional setting without cutting some corners. But guys, don't stoop to the level of success. Don't stoop to the level of success. The world says, well, this is how you achieve it. Well, then change your mentality of what success really means. Success is faithfully obeying God even when it's difficult. That's real success. Success is not getting promoted and making more money. Now, if you get promoted and make more money while standing on your convictions, praise God. If you have a prince of the eunuchs that looks up to you, praise God. This may not be the outcome every time, but you will find that even, even the worst of people will sometimes appreciate you taking a stand. Proverbs chapter 3, let's get verses 3 and 4. Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them about upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Why? Because mercy and truth. Because you're a well-balanced person. You know how to administer both things when necessary, and people will respect that. The, the right kind of people, and even sometimes the wrong kind of people. Dr. Ruckman used to tell us all the time, every good thief wants his money, or every thief rather, every thief wants his money in a good bank. That's deep. That's deep. Every thief wants his money in a good bank. Think about that. That, that thief went to great lengths to steal that money. Now, he wants it in a good bank. Why? He doesn't want anybody to steal it from him. <laughs> So he wants an honest banker that will protect his stolen money. You see how that works? When, when you, you can have a foolish, wicked person, if he gets sick, you know where he goes? He goes to the best doctor he can get. He doesn't go to some cheat of a doctor 
who paid for his medical degree and didn't do the work. He wants to go to a qualified guy who's upstanding and will do a good job, right? He has respect, even though he himself isn't that great of a guy. And I think that's what we're dealing with in Daniel chapter 1. You can come back to Daniel 1. I remember some years ago in Malawi, I was out witnessing in one of the suburbs of the capital city in a, a village called Chinsapo. We had a church there in Chinsapo and so I was just handing out tracks, and it was starting to rain a little bit, so there weren't a lot of people out, but I saw one guy kind of stumbling through a field, so I walked out into the field and handed him a tract, and I, then I found out as I approached why he was stumbling. It wasn't because it was a cornfield and the furrows, you know, were, were, it was because he was pretty, pretty drunk. <laughs> you could smell it before you could, you know, before he could admit it, and he was stumbling around, and I gave him a track, and I, I knew this conversation wasn't going to go very far, but still I asked, you know. Uh, are you saved? Are you a believer? And on we went and, and just trying to get an opportunity to give him the gospel. And I did. I preached the entire gospel to him. By the end of it, he, re- he reached over and gave me a big hug. And he thanked me profusely. He said, ah, sir, thank you. Thank you so much. Eh, thank you so much. So much. So much. Eh, eh, you have left your home. Eh, and you have come here to tell me a drunk about Jesus. Thank you. And I thought, you know, I haven't had a church member thank me this much. <laughs> but here's this sot drunk stumbling through a field who really appreciates the sacrifice of somebody coming about 10,000 miles to tell them about Jesus. And, and I, I, it makes me think of this, right? Because I, I don't know if he ever changed. I don't know if he ever got saved. I never saw him again, but he appreciated the effort. He did. Verse number 10, Daniel 1 and verse 10. It says, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my Lord the King who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then ye shall make me endanger my head to the King. So even though this prince likes Daniel, appreciates Daniel, the prince is more worried about losing his job and his life, right? Endanger my head to the King. Because this prince had one job, keep these young men in good shape. In, in every way, make sure that they are getting the right diet and exercise and, and, and education and all of that. So if Daniel pulls back on the diet, Ashpenaz or whoever this is, I assume it's him, he's worried, man, I, th- this might cost me my job slash life. So he's, ex- he's expressed his concern to Daniel. And then verse 11, then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So this Melzar, second in command, under the prince of the eunuchs. Now, if you go back to verse number three, the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. So I'm assuming that the prince and the master of the eunuchs is the same guy, that that's Ashpenaz. But then Ashpenaz has deputized this other guy, Melzar, to step in and and take care of some of the duties of taking care of these young men. Now, I got got two options for this, and I'm going to run you through both of them. You can choose whichever one. I I have a preference here. Perhaps Ashpenaz a long time ago had already brought Melzar on just to help out with the daily duties. There's a lot of young men to take care of. So maybe this is something that was already established and Daniel, knowing that he didn't get very far with Ashpenaz, is now just asking Melzar, hey, it didn't work with the big boss. Let me see if I can ask you. I don't want to eat that food. So he's he's going to ask Melzar in just a moment. Or maybe it's this. Maybe Ashpenaz heard Daniel's request. I am not going to eat that meat, drink that wine. 
And Ashpenaz wanted to help, but couldn't. And he knew, if, if I help and this doesn't go well, I'm going to lose my life. So he looks around the room and he says, uh, Melzar, come here. <laughs> Melzar, you're in charge of these guys now. <laughs> and he's, he's passing the buck. And he leans over and he whispers in Melzar's ear before he goes. He says, cut Daniel a break. Him and his buddies, they don't want the food. Go ahead, help them out. And this, this might be Ashpenaz's way of kind of helping Daniel, but not helping Daniel. You know, it, he didn't do it personally, passed it on. And this way he could, you know, plausible deniability. Well, I wasn't in the room when, when the food went out, so I don't know what happened. And, you know, that type of thing. Because Ashpenaz liked Daniel, I almost think that that's what happened. And that's why he brought Melzar into the picture. But whichever way it is, here we have Melzar now. So Daniel is talking to Melzar in verse number 12. And he says, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. And let, them eat, uh, let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. All right, pulse is like lentils or just grains that you grind up. That type of thing is, a, is pulse. Pulse to eat, water to drink. Then let our countenances, a countenance is the way your face looks. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee. And the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. Now I have had actually a, more than a handful of people turn to this passage and say this is the diet. This is the biblical diet that you ought to follow. And it will not only bring you good health, but it will make you spiritually healthy. It will make your face shine with the glory of God. And guys, there's no bowl of beans in the world that can make your face shine with the glory of God. Okay, I, I'm all for cleaning up your diet. But please do not think that the Bible is going to give you the exact diet that you need. Now, obviously, in the Bible, you're going to find some boundaries for your diet. Can I just, while we're talking about diets, slip in a couple dietary comments here? Uh, let all things be done with moderation. Amen? Stop overeating. That's, that's some great dietary advice. Seriously, if you want to have a piece of cake, the Bible says, Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. So the Bible is very big when it talks about diet. It's not, the Bible very rarely says you can only eat this and that when it's talking to you and I. We're going to talk about the Jews in just a moment. But more than anything, the overall, you know, the, the world, when it talks about what we eat, God's given us the entire planet. Whatever grows, whatever's walking around, we're allowed to eat it for the most part. But just don't eat too much of it. Now, if you want to turn to Daniel 1 and say, well, this is the diet I'm going to, I'm just going to eat, you know, ground up beans and wheat and, and drink water, you're probably going to lose weight. Yeah. After 10 days, we'll take a look and you'll probably look miserable. I, <laughs> yeah, let, let me stop right there. In any event, <laughs> so people get on some strange diets. They do, right? They do. They get a strange diets. I'm just going to you know, put a little dirt on the tip of my tongue <laughs> and drink a little water and get just some weird stuff thinking, you know, Adam came out of the dirt. So I'm just, <laughs> just come. God was protecting them by telling them don't eat these certain things because those things would have made them sick. And, and they're not healthy or clean meats in the sense of like physical health, physical cleanliness. And uh, that's, that's not the case. Now, granted, yes, back in the days of Israel marching through the wilderness and in Old Testament times they didn't have refrigeration they didn't have all the food codes you know and temperature checks that we now have but they knew how to cook meat 
Right? Bri was not started with South Africa. <laughs> it, it, was, it started back in, in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel putting their meat you know, up, oh, well, let's say Abel at least, putting the meat on the, on the altar there. So brine's a very old practice. People knew how to cook their meat. God gave those Jews a special diet to make them unique and different and a peculiar people so they would stick out from the rest of the world. He did it to separate them. They also had special haircut rules. They had special dress rules. They had to wear a blue ribbon around the bottom of their uh, skirt or robe or whatever it was. They had all these different rules because God wanted them to be exactly that, different from the rest of the Gentiles. When it comes to the meat itself, whether it's shellfish or pork or whatever kind of meat you're talking about, the meat itself is just meat. But there were certain things God said, don't eat that so that you're different. That is what Daniel is honoring in Daniel chapter 1. He is honoring God's purpose in giving them a special diet. Daniel is not worshiping the lentils, right? He's not worshiping the pulse. He's not making a big deal of what he is now eating. The big deal is God wanted me to be different. And even if I'm in Babylon, that doesn't change that God wants me to be different. He's standing by that principle. Look at Genesis 9 and verse number 2. Noah has come out of the ark. God says to him, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Verse 3, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. And then he gives him one prohibition, Don't eat it, the blood. Leave the blood out. But... Verse 3 makes it clear Noah was allowed to eat whatever he wanted. Pork, shellfish, crab, whatever. He could have it, right? Lobster, he could have it. So this tells me that the diet itself, this is back in Genesis 9. This is what, uh, seven, eight hundred years before you get to uh, Moses with the law. So these people knew how to cook these meats. God is not telling Noah to eat something dangerous for his health. So when we get to the law under Moses, then that's something just to make them different. Now, come back to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. So Daniel has requested of Melzar, please just give us 10 days, 10 days to do it God's way. Give us this, um, I want to almost say that the underdog diet. Give us this diet where under normal circumstances we could not come out looking fairer and fatter fleshed. Under normal circumstances, pulse and water would thin us down and make us weak. But just give us 10 days. And what Daniel's asking is, it's a 10-day contest between God and the Babylonian way of life. Let's see which one will do us better. So verse number 14 He says, so he consented to them in this matter and proved them 10 days. Now, why 10? I'm not sure. The number 10 in the Bible is is a Gentile number. I don't know if you guys have studied the numbers in the Bible, but there are several numbers in the Bible that constantly go with something. The number 1 always seems to go with unity, and you could see why. The number 2, division. The number 3 is the number of God. The number four is the number of the, uh, the, wor- the world or the earth. The number five goes with death. The number six is the number of a man. And Revelation 13 actually tells us that. So we were created on the sixth day, and when you die, we put you six feet under. So that's the number of a man. The number seven is the number of completeness. 
The number eight is new beginnings. The number nine is fruit. And the number ten always, I, I say almost always, goes with, it's connected to something with the Gentiles. Genesis chapter 10, that is the separation of all the Gentile nations. It's a list of all the different Gentile nations. It's the first time you get that in your Bible, Genesis 10. So maybe, maybe that plays into this. I don't know. I don't know if Daniel was aware of how the number 10 played into all of that. But he is in a Gentile land. Perhaps that has something to do with it. I don't know. But he chose 10 days. Give me 10 days. Can I give you, just using this as a general rule, if you are struggling with something, and, and you're looking at it knowing that you need to make that big change. And you're finding it difficult because it looks like such a monumental task. How can I stop that particular, whatever it is, bad habit, sin? Or how can I start that thing that I know I need to do? And you're looking at it thinking, I'll never be able to accomplish it. Okay, maybe you're looking at the rest of your life thinking, how can I sustain this change? for the next 30 years, 40 years. Maybe you're looking too long. Break it down to 10 days. Give yourself 10 days and say, okay, just for 10 days, let me try it God's way. Let me make this big sacrifice, take on the challenge, and do it for 10 days. And then after 10 days, let's see how, let's see how it feels, let's see how it goes. And, and by the way, I don't think there's anything magical about the number 10 as it relates to the story. If you can't manage 10 days, just try one, right? If you're struggling with something, just try, God help me. I don't know if I can do this for the rest of my life, but just one time, I'm gonna try it. You know what I've found? If it, once you try it and you realize, wait a minute, I can do it. I can do this. Then you do it the next time. And one more day, and one more day. You know the old adage, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. It might take you a while, but you eat it one bite at a time. You look at the whole elephant, you say, there's no way I can eat an elephant. And I know there's some Bursians that probably could, but, but most people look at the elephant and go, that's, that's just too much, right? Some guys look at it and say, Como's bry, but, but not all, not all. One bite at a time. Just, just give it 10 days. 10 days. Say, I've, I've been smoking for 20 years. I don't think I could ever quit. Try for 10 days. 10 days. Just, just give it 10. Say, I don't think I can go 10. Give it one. I mean, but try. At least make an effort. Prove it. Test it. See how it goes. Say, I don't, you know what? I struggle to come to church every Sunday. Try it for a month. Just try a month, right? Now, if I really wanted to stretch it, try coming 10 times in a row. When's the last time you came to church to every service 10 times in a row? 10 weeks in a row. Think about it. When's the last time? Barring emergencies and sicknesses that you can't control, but 10 times, 10 weeks, where you attended everything that you could attend. Just try it 10 times and see how life is. See how it feels. And, and give it your best effort. Daniel's giving it his best effort, right? Come with a good attitude. Just try it 10 times. Here's one. Pass out 10 tracks. You say, man, I'm scared to death to pass out a track. I remember when I felt like that too. I am. The first time I ever went out soul winning, or let me not say soul winning, but street preaching, I'd been out soul winning with my pastor, and I've watched him passing out tracks and talking to people, so I'd seen that. And one day, I watched him preach in the open air. He went to a street corner, and as the cars would pull up, the light turns red, and he would preach while the car, and in the States, we have four or five lanes at that red light. You could preach to 50, 60 people for about a minute and a half, because the light was quite long. 
You can say a lot in a minute and a half. I can give you the whole gospel in 30 seconds. So a minute and a half, I can give you pretty much the Old New Testament. I can squeeze a lot in there. I saw him do it. One day I was on my way home from work and God said, Mike, give it a shot. I thought there's, <laughs> I have no backup. I have nobody with me. <laughs> no. And, and I, I, God just kept dealing with me and I drove past that spot where I knew he wanted me to preach. I kept driving past it and going past it. And I, I was heading back home and God said, now turn around and go try. Just, just prove it. Just try it one time. I said, okay. I pulled into the car park. I parked the car. I got out, locked the door, had my Bible in my hand because I have a Bible in my car. Got a Bible everywhere I go. I had tracks because I have tracks everywhere I go. So I was ready in case God wanted me to do something like this. I mean, if you're a soldier, you got to be ready for battle anytime. Amen. So God, this is my time to preach. I locked the door. I start walking towards the corner, and I did a U-turn. and went right back to the car. <laughs> and I, I start to unlock the door. This is back when you had to put the key in the door. <laughs> and I put the key in the door to unlock it. And as soon as I did, I'll never forget. The Lord said, you're going to let the devil win that easy? Ah. <sighs> No, no, Lord, I'm not. He said, go give it a try. Okay, I'll try once. Here we go. Whew, took the key out. I walked to that corner. I put my Bible up in the air. The light turned red. <gasps> I put my Bible down. I couldn't do it. I, I just clammed up. I got so scared. I couldn't say a word. And I felt so ridiculous because I had my Bible in the air, but nothing was coming out of my mouth, and the light had turned red. And everybody's just looking at me like, and? <laughs> I'm like, just... Just want you to know I own a Bible. You know, I mean, it was very awkward. That, was, that light stayed red for at least 20 minutes, I promise. Oh, it just would not turn green. After the minute and a half that it really stayed red, it turns green. The cars go. I felt a little bit of relief. I prayed, God, give me courage. God, help me. Okay, I want to do it. I want to do it. And that next light turns red. I put my Bible up. This time I close my eyes. Close my eyes, and I put one Bible up in the air, put my hand to, you know, cut my, cup, cup the, the voice coming out. I said, the Bible says, and I started to preach, and I preached for the whole minute and a half. I don't know how anybody responded, because I never looked. <laughs> I heard the engines revving up to go, and I knew the light had turned green. I thought, whew, wow, praise God, man, I did it. And the Lord said, that wasn't so bad, was it? I said, no. He said, try again. All right, next red light, kept my eyes open. <laughs> and one red light after another, I don't know, I probably preached four or five times. It took me all of, what, 10 minutes? I went home with such joy in my heart because victory. I, I tried. I'm not the best at doing that. It's not like a bunch of people got saved, but the Holy Spirit told me to do it, and I did it. Just try. Just try. Try it 10 times, and then see how you feel. See how you feel. Give it, a, give it a go. Verse number 15, it says, At the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Now, fairer, more beautiful, more attractive, if you want to use that word. Fatter in flesh. So they, they, they didn't look anemic or sickly. We use the word fat, you know, <laughs> The way, the way I'm used to that word, if somebody says, man, you're looking, your face is looking fat. Hey, hey, why you got to go there? Man? <laughs> I mean, that ain't nice. Come on, whack. <laughs> Don't say those kind of things. But that's a compliment. In Malawi, I, I used to get this for about the first year I lived there. People would come up to me and, 
And uh, Brother Edward, he, he's here with us today. He's Malawian. He can tell you this as well. People come up and say, ah, you're looking fat, eh? And I would get so offended. I'm like, but I'm working out. Like, yeah, hey, yes, but you're fat. <laughs> and then they come and say, hey, your wife, she is fat. I'm like, hey, man, I mean, them, them's fighting words right there. I'm like, well, stop it. Stop saying I'm fat. And then I asked one of them, I said, do you really think I'm fat? And, and, and one of my Malawian friends said, yes, yes. I said, you know that that's not nice. He said, ah, why not? He said, do you want to be skinny? If you're skinny, you are sick, you have AIDS. <laughs> I said, that makes sense, actually. I said, okay. He said, no, to, to be fat just means you look healthy. That's in their mind to say uli onenepa means you have a, the appropriate amount of fat on your body. Your face isn't sunk in. You don't look anemic and all of that kind of stuff. So that's how it's being used here. Daniel didn't plump up, you know. He, he just looked proper and normal. He appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Then Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. So this 10-day probation period, this little trial, it worked. It worked. And for the rest of their time in this Chaldean school of learning, you know, to get them ready to be part of Chaldean society, for the rest of their time, Melzar then knew the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego <clears throat> doing it God's way, even though Melzar never converted, not that we know of, he knew there was something special about Daniel's God. And he knew, he knew there was something special about these young men. And you know what's going to set you apart from the world and how they're going to recognize that God's way is better than the world's way is if you and I stay obedient even when it's not popular. We cannot try to win them by blending in with them. We don't try to infiltrate the world so that we can win them from the inside. We are among them. Yes, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. So even though we are studying in the same classroom, Daniel was, right, with the other Chaldeans and other Babylonians, he was there, he, he was in their society, but he was not of them. His behavior was not based on their standards and rules and expectations. Take your Bible, come to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. When you go through the Bible, you'll find that God puts quite an emphasis on his people living a separated life. Let me, while you're finding John 17, verse 13, let, let me be clear about this. God blesses proper biblical separation. Proper and biblical separation. God never tells anyone to separate because their skin colors are different. Never. Never. That's an absolutely ridiculous standard to separate by. You know the first time that, where, where people started to separate? You know when it, when it happened? Genesis chapter 11, right? Tower of Babel. You know why they separated? They couldn't understand each other. Language. Language. You know, as a Christian, I might speak English with other English-speaking people, but as a Christian, I don't talk the same language. I like to talk about Jesus Christ. I like to talk about the Bible. I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit's been working in my life. I like to share prayer requests. I want to talk, right? Those are the things. I'm talking a different language. You get around the lost world and you start saying that stuff. and that, <laughs> What is any of that? And we're talking two different languages. We separate, right? 
We separate based not on skin color. We separate on, on righteousness. We separate on issues like truth and God. So John 17, verse 13, Jesus is praying. And he says here, And now come I to these, talking to the Father. And these things I speak in the world, that they, his disciples, might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, how do we get that full joy? I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What does it mean to be of the world? That is, the, the world is giving you your marching orders. The world has shaped you and molded you and trained you to think, speak, and act a certain way. Then you are of the world. Jesus says, my disciples are not of the world. Jesus gave us, Jesus gave his, in this passage, his apostles, he gave them his word. And even more, we can say gave them the Father's word. And, and that word is what makes us different. Not only knowing it, not only talking about it, but by doing it when it's not popular. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So we still function within our societies, but Jesus expects us to be different, regardless of how difficult that is. Verse 16, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. What a powerful verse. And I believe this is the reason right there, verse number 16, uh, uh, 17. That's the reason a lot of Christians today, they, they will claim to be believers in Christ and they carry a Bible, but they don't know what's going on inside of the covers of their Bible. They're biblically illiterate and ignorant. And I say that with kindness because in some cases it's not their fault. I met a young man just, what, three, four weeks ago on the campus, had the opportunity to witness to him. He said the year prior, he had been an atheist, and now he was trying to give his life back to God. He had grown up in a church, so he, he gave up on his faith. He'd been an atheist for some years, and now he was coming back to God. He'd been sitting in a church for the last year and a half, trying to find his way back to God, in a church, and no one had explained the gospel to him. Not one person. How can you go a year and a half in a church and not hear the gospel? How does that happen? We, in just 20 minutes of our conversation, I said, do you believe the Bible? He said, I'd like to, but I know there are lots of issues and problems and contradictions and things like that. He says, I'm, I've never, no one's ever explained to me why I should believe it. I said, can I show you a few reasons? He said, that'd be great. I showed him a few things. He said, why has nobody told me this? We had an excellent conversation. I said, listen, if you'd like to learn more, we'd love to help you out. He said, things are really hectic here. You know how it goes with exams. People get busy. Their schedules get hectic. And, and guys, I've been witnessing on the campus for 10 years. I know how this goes. You can have hundreds of conversations, and very rarely will they follow up. You know what? I got a phone call this week from that man. This is, what, three weeks after the fact? He called me this, this week, and he said, I want to get discipled. I'm writing my, my last uh, exam that I need to write. He said, I, I'm calling. I, I'd love for you to pray with me right now on the phone, and then next week I'll call you. We'll set up a time for discipleship. 
Why? Because somebody came with the Bible and said, here's why we're different. That was it. It just, it just makes a difference. Get, dig deep. Go deep into your Bible. It will make you different. Dr. Ruckman told us when we went down for Bible school, orientation day, he said, gentlemen, I just want to warn you, after three years of this Bible school, you'll be ruined. He said, you'll be ruined for the world. You'll, you'll be no good out there. Now, n- not in the sense of, you know, working a job. You can still work a job, have a family. You can be in the world, but the world will never accept you. Not if you know and live by this book. It'll ruin you. Furthermore, he said, you'll never be able to enjoy the things of the world again. Not once you get into that book deep. Because once you know what's in that book and you try to go back to the world, oh, the Holy Spirit will bring things to your remembrance and go, you can't enjoy that. (laughs) You know better than that. Oh, man, it makes it difficult to sin. Don't you want it to be difficult to sin? Come on, don't you want that to be difficult? Get a lot of Bible in you. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So I'm struggling with a particular sin. Memorize 10 verses about that sin. 10. Prove it with 10. (laughs) See how that works. And the next time you go to do that sin, the Holy Spirit reaches down and says, what about this verse? What about this verse? Because the Bible said, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus has said. Isn't that right? Well, you need, to, you need to expose yourself to what Jesus said. And then the Holy Spirit can bring it to remembrance. And that'll make you different. It'll set you apart. Verse number 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So if you want to know what biblical separation should look like, study the life of Jesus. Right? He he could still function in the world, but man, did he stick out. And and not because he was purposely weird. He He didn't say, well, the world does it this way, so I'm just going to do it the opposite of the world, and if I do it opposite of the world, I'll always be right. Don't let... That you're still of the world then. You're letting the world tell you, do it this way. Don't let the world be in charge. Just do what God told you to do. Now, more often than not, you'll end up different than the world. But this way, it's not you making up the rules. Verse 19, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. He said, I've, I've given them an example. I haven't just taught them. I've shown them how to do it. And verse 20 is just a great verse. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's you and me. That's Jesus praying for you and me directly. That is one of the few times we are directly mentioned in the Scripture. But that's us. Verse 21, the prayer request is this, that they all may be one. Isn't that strange? All through the passage, sanctify them, make them different, make them different, right? And then he says, I want them to be one. Be one what? Be us as Bible-believing disciples. We make up our one group, and we have this unity because we're clinging on to the same authority. That is the Word of God. He says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. If we do not stick out, the world has nothing to look to. So we're to let our light shine before men. 
that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. But that light has to shine. Philippians 2, holding forth the word of life. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, we hold it forth and say, this is what makes me different. Come to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll finish up in Ephesians 5 here. Ephesians chapter 5, and let's start at verse number 6. Ephesians 5 and verse 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He's just listed off several sins in the verses above this. Verse uh, 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. You want to see the Holy Spirit working in your life? What is the evidence of the Holy Ghost? A different life. A life that is not of the world. Verse, 11, uh, verse 10, watch this one. Proving, there's Daniel, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. You know how you're going to prove it? Don't walk in the darkness. Walk in the light. Obey the Holy Spirit. Once you've done it, then you'll know uh, this is the way God wants it to be. Then you'll know what's acceptable to the Lord. You can't know it simply by theory. You need to know it also by practice. So verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. By you being different. You don't even need to say a word. By you simply being different and obedient to God, the world will recognize that. And they will feel reproved. They will feel Sometimes even they'll even say, why are you judging me? You don't even have to say a word. The Bible says Noah judged the world by building an ark. How did he judge the world? By saying, listen, guys, God told me to do this. Why? Because you guys are so corrupt and so wicked, God's going to drown you. This is not Noah coming to his own conclusion. Noah's just doing what God told him to do. And he's different. He's different. So on page 363 in our hymn book, we sing the song, standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command. Honor them, the faithful few, all hail to Daniel's band. Many mighty men are lost, daring not to stand. Who for God had been a host by joining Daniel's band? Many giants, great and tall, stalking through the land, headlong to the earth would fall if met by Daniel's band. Hold the gospel banner high, on to victory grand. Satan and his host defy, and shout for Daniel's band. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Powerful song. And Daniel has set the standard for sure. Let's all stand if you would, please. Let's stand. Father, thank you this morning. You have challenged us. Uh, with what we've looked at this morning. Help us, Lord. We are in this world, and it throws at us all sorts of challenges and temptations. God, give us the courage and the strength and the grace we need to stand and be different. 
Help us, Lord. Give us the courage. If, we, if, if we're worried about doing it the rest of our life, give us courage to do it once. And then once more and once more. Help us, Lord. We want to stand for you. Bless our service.